0: Well, good morning, church. It's good to see all of you here this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 26 this morning, Matthew chapter 26. And uh, the title of the message today is Understanding Jesus' Death. Understanding Jesus' Death. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 16, and then we're going to skip down to 20 through 25. 1-16, 1-16, through 16, then 20-25. through 25. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, He said to His disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill Him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, of very expensive ointment. She poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing for, to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be also told, be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve Judas, whose name was Judas Iscariot, then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What do you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver, and from that moment he sought opportunity to betray him. Now to verse twenty. When it was evening he reclined at the table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to one another, after another, say to one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written, But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading and the proclamation of His Word. When something tragic happens, your view of God either helps you to make it through that thing, or it causes you to wilt and wither because of that Thing. If you believe in a God who ultimately defines goodness, who loves you and is with you, who can bring you even out of the most horrible of circumstances, who is present with you, whatever you may have to endure, who will never leave you or forsake you, if you believe in that God, in the God of the Bible, you can endure and survive no matter how horrific the circumstance might be. However, if you do not believe in anything, if you believe this world is just a series of random cosmic accidents, uh, if you do not believe there is a God who loves you, if you believe the horrible circumstances of life can never produce anything good, and you don't think there's a God who will help you and be present with you wherever, whatever you go through, you can be driven to despair. You can be driven to despair. Your view of God determines everything else. Also, if you have a false view of God, if you have a false view of God that's not based on the God of the Bible, uh, the truth of God's Word, and you believe the wrong things about God you can also uh, come to, uh, to desperation. You can also despair. Uh, some people mistakenly believe in a false God who always protects them from all tragedies and setbacks and struggles and poverty and, deve- and disease and divorce and every other horrible thing. Uh, they believe in a God that's kind of like a Santa Claus that, uh, that gives you everything you want and and the best that you will ever achieve, you can have that best right now. If that's the kind of God you believe in, then when that does not happen, and it will not happen because it's not the true true revelation of the God of the Bible, you can lose faith because the true and living God does not promise you that you're never going to have illness or disease or tragedy or troubles or setbacks or uh, or persecutions. In fact. You see, you have to realize that the best is is not here now for the believer. The best is yet to come. And we look forward to that. And if you don't know what that's about, read Hebrews 11, where God talked to the people of faith who suffered all kinds of terrible tragedies because they were looking forward to what? To a city that that was ahead. To the promise of eternity and the promise of, of the... Uh, of God making everything right in the end. See, you can be moved to despair if, you're, if your view of God is not based on the truth of God's word. You see, we ought to see God as he really is. And what he's really like is revealed in the Bible. And if you know the Bible, you can know there is a, a God, a true and living God, who is truly good and who rules the universe and whom you can trust no matter what you go through in life. Matthew 26, we see Jesus again uh, in Jerusalem. And he is approaching his upcoming death. It's, it's, it's right here now. Jesus tells his disciples again that in two days during the Passover, he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be turned over to authorities who will execute him on the cross. He will rise again. Jesus tells them this is coming. Jesus' blood would be poured out for the remission of sins They'd be poured out so your sins and my sins could be forgiven and anyone who will believe. But most of his followers, even though Jesus had told them this again and again and again, did not understand that it was coming. They wanted to believe in a different kind of Messiah, in a different kind of God. They wanted to believe in a God who does not have to deal justly with sin. And even though Jesus had told them again and again that this was coming, they still could not see it most of them still could not see it but in matthew 26 i think we see two people who see this coming two people who see this coming um one of them is mary mary the sister of lazarus mary the one we always find at the feet of jesus um Mary is the sister of Martha. Mary is, uh, is the sister of Lazarus. And every time we see Mary almost, we see Mary at the feet of Jesus. Uh, we see her sitting at the feet of Jesus as Martha was busy preparing uh, the meal for Jesus and apostles. In John chapter 11, we see Mary when her brother had died. And she hears Jesus is, is there. She arrives and she falls at his feet and she takes her sorrow and her burdens to Jesus. And now in, math, in uh, Matthew chapter 26, we see Mary once again at the feet of Jesus, <coughs> anointing his feet uh, with, with precious uh, ointment and uh, wiping his uh, feet with her hair. Mary seemed to get what no other follower of Jesus got, I think, that Jesus was going to die. Jesus was going to die. She seemed to get that when none of the others seemed to get that. But also there was another one who, who I think was, he saw that Jesus was going to die, that, that Jesus would soon die, and I think that was Judas. Judas Iscariot. Judas had a false view of Jesus and what he was all about. He thought that following Jesus, when he began this process three years ago, following Jesus um, was going to mean revolution for Israel, was going to mean the breaking of uh, the Roman shackles and the uh, political power of Rome. It, It would mean some kind of glorious position in an earthly kingdom for Judas. But as Judas continued to listen to Jesus and his continual talk of being delivered to his enemies and being executed, Judas did not see anything good coming out of this. He did not see anything good coming out of this. Yes, he'd seen Jesus work miraculous things and do wonderful things, but to him it was all meaningless. It was all meaningless. Judas may have thought that he'd wasted three years of his life following Jesus, Judas, with no real faith in Jesus, who, who the Bible tells us, the Gospel of John tells us, he never really believed in Jesus. He felt, possibly after three years, that he was going to wind up with nothing but a dead leader. That's how he saw what, he, what I think he might have seen coming. So he decides to make the best out of a bad situation... And he did a horrific crime against Jesus. One saw Jesus' death through the eyes of faith. One saw Jesus' death without faith. Two different views of Jesus, a right one and a wrong one. And they reacted in two diametrically opposite ways. From this passage of Scripture in Matthew 26, I think we see this timeless truth. That Jesus' death to each of us either is one of the most meaningful or the most meaningless events in history. Jesus' death to each of us is either one of the most meaningful or meaningless events in history. Let's look at it this morning a little bit closer. We see people preparing for Jesus' death here in Matthew 26 in the first few verses of that chapter First of all, we see that hardened and unbelieving men and women prepare to dismiss Jesus. Hardened and unbelieving men and women prepare to dismiss Jesus. Now, Jesus knew that the cross was coming and that he was going to die for us on the cross. He knew that. And after his teaching was complete, in this final climactic session uh, that begins in Matthew 26... He again begins to prepare his followers for what is right upon them is going to happen. He tells them after two days. This is not an indefinite thing anymore. After two days, during the time of the Passover, the Son of Man, Jesus himself, will be delivered and crucified. The time is right now. It's right now. The verbs are present tense, even though it was still a couple of days away. Jesus told them it was coming and now the time is here for him to be delivered and crucified. As Jesus prepared his followers for what ahead, there's another group making preparations for the death of Jesus, to dismiss Jesus. The chief priests and elders, the power brokers and the leaders of the nation of Israel, with Rome's permission of course, prepared to act against Jesus. Jesus had confounded them and confused them and disagreed with them. Jesus refused to accept their wrong understanding of God's Word and God's law. Jesus was messing with the position uh, with their positions of power, with their control of the status quo. Jesus was messing with that. They couldn't bet Jesus in any rational discussion. Um, so what did they do? They determined to protect themselves and their power. By any means possible. By any means possible. And so they plotted to arrest Jesus. In some secret and underhanded way. And then they were going to have Jesus killed. That was their solution to the Jesus problem. Their plan was to kill him after the Passover feast. Because they didn't want to cause a riot and get in trouble with Rome. But notice this. They they wanted to do it after the feast. But Jesus said it was going to happen during the feast, didn't he? He would be killed during the Passover feast. They thought they, this, they were in control of this situation. They were in control of this plan. But God was bringing about his sovereign purposes as his son would be the sacrifice given so that our sins could be forgiven. Jesus would die during the feast, not after the feast. Jesus would die when the lambs were being slain. Uh, As a remembrance of the angel of death passing over the children of Israel thousands of years before. That's when when the lambs were being slain, Jesus would be dying on the cross as the sacrificial lamb. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus would die as the one and only lamb of God so you and I could be saved from death and hell and sin. Jesus was the one in control. Not those hardened and unbelieving leaders. They sought to dismiss him. And you can seek to dismiss Jesus from your life too. You can put him away from you. You can put him out of your mind. You can ignore him and his followers. You can ignore his invitation for you to believe and be saved. But you know you really can't ever dismiss Jesus. Because Jesus is the one before whom every human being will stand and give an account of his life. Jesus is the one who we read about last week, learned about last week, who will be the judge of every human being. Jesus will be the one who, even though they refuse to confess him as Lord during this life, the Bible says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hardened and unbelieving men and women still seek uh, to prepare to dismiss Jesus. But we find someone else preparing for the death of Jesus this morning. Secondly, disillusioned men and women prepare to betray Jesus. Now Jesus was honored at a banquet by Mary. Uh, This banquet was was in the home of of a man named Simon the leper. And when Mary honored Jesus at this banquet... The disciples dishonored her uh, by discounting her actions. And I'll talk about Mary in a minute. But they criticized her. They discounted her actions. And John tells us, if you go to the Gospel of John, his account of the anointing, he tells us that Judas Iscariot led in the criticism. He's the one that criticized and the other disciples were caught up in his criticism uh, of Mary. And John tells us Judas didn't criticize because he actually wanted the money to be given uh, so the poor would be helped. Judas criticized because he was a thief and used to steal money and use it for himself out of of Jesus' treasury, the treasury they did their ministry out of. And so Judas led the criticism. Now notice something here. The other disciples joined in this. You know, it's easy to join in the criticism, isn't it? It's easy when others are criticizing something or someone that you just to jump on the bandwagon. It's easy for me. I think it's easier for you. And they were caught up in Judas's criticism. Yeah, it sounds real spiritual, doesn't it? Money should have been given to the poor. I mean, this was a valuable treasure. It was worth almost a year's salary. That could have fed a lot of poor people. They jumped on the bandwagon and they joined him in the criticism. Well, Jesus would not stand for that. Jesus rebuked Jesus and the, uh, Judas and the other disciples, and he defended Mary and honored her by saying that she had prepared his body for burial. Vir- That's what Jesus did. And since Judas had led the criticism, the rebuke was pretty much directed at Judas himself. It was a stinging rebuke to a proud man who was following Jesus basically so that he could rule with him when 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 he thought he was going to be a political messiah. Judas felt the sting of Jesus' rebukes. I think his feelings were hurt. Because immediately he went uh, to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? He felt the sting. And also I think Judas realized something else. Jesus was not the kind of Messiah he had signed up to follow. He was not the kind of Messiah he had signed up to follow. Jesus Jesus was not the political Messiah, the revolutionary that Judas thought he was. Judas wanted to follow a conqueror and a soldier and a political deliverer and a general. Judas didn't think he needed a forgiver, a substitute a savior. Judas didn't think he needed that. Judas wanted deliverance from Rome, but not deliverance from sin. So what did he do? He decided to cut his losses. He'd make something good out of what he thought was coming. And so he went to the chief priest. He knew they were looking for him. And he made a business deal, a cold, calculated business decision. What will you give me if I deliver Jesus over to you? What's it worth to you? And they agreed to pay him 30 pieces of silver. Now, how much was 30 pieces of silver? It wasn't nothing, it was probably about four months' wages for the average man. And that, that would be a lot of money if we put it in our terms today. He sold Jesus out. For four months of salary, he agreed to betray Jesus, and the scripture says he looked for an opportunity to betray him. He looked for the right moment. Well, later, when Jesus was celebrating the Passover with his followers, Jesus said, You guys are going to, one of you is going to betray me. And all the disciples. Ask the question, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Am I the one that's going to betray you? They all had enough self-doubt about themselves that they asked themselves this question. And Jesus said, it's the one who dips his hand with me. Um, It's the one who dips his hand with me in the dish. Now, all of them dipped their hand with him in the dish you know they they had, they had these dishes of fruits and nuts on the passover and they and they would they didn't have utensils so they would dip their hands and they would eat these things together so he was saying it's one of you uh, and they didn't really understand Jesus didn't give them enough information for them to figure out who it was and But they kept asking one by one. And the way they ask it, it, it's in a way that they didn't think it was them, but they weren't totally sure. But then last of all, Judas asked the question. But notice, Judas didn't ask it like the other disciples. Judas didn't say, Lord. Judas said, Rabbi. Teacher. He didn't call Jesus Lord. We never have a record in the New Testament of Judas calling Jesus Lord. Rabbi, is it I who is going to betray you? Well, Judas knew it was him, right? He'd already made the bargain. He knew it was him. He had already accepted the blood money. And Jesus said, you have said so. And and it doesn't really come across to us in English. Jesus was answering affirmatively, yes, it is used, but, but it's more like your own words are convicting you. You said it. You said it. Uh, uh, your own words convict you. See Judas made a blood bargain with Caiaphas. Caiaphas was another uh, cold calculating shrewd power player. He would remained in, in uh, power for 18 years as the high priest. Rome, when Rome came in they said the high priest could only reign one year because they were trying to They were trying to break the power of the high priest and not him not become a political leader. But somehow, Caiaphas, in his uh, shrewdness, he managed to remain high priest for 18 years. So here was Caiaphas and Judas, both coldly calculated, considering what they needed to do, and they made a bargain. The leaders didn't want to arrest Jesus during the feast, but this opportunity that Judas was going to give them was too good to pass it up. And Judas sold out Jesus. Why? We believe the wrong things about Jesus. He was disillusioned, I think, partly. And, you know, I don't don't think we need to over-evaluate his motives. Because he wasn't a good guy. It wasn't good motives. He sold Jesus out. Someone he knew that never did anything wrong and never hurt anyone and healed so many people and set so many people free. He'd seen it over and over and over again for three years. He sold him out. He sold him out. But he believed the wrong thing about Jesus. And he was disillusioned. You know, if Jesus, Jesus sometimes doesn't conform to the way people want him to be. And he will not conform to the way that you think he should be. You have to you have to conform your understanding of who Jesus is through through the revealed word of God as you read the Bible and understand who Jesus is all about. It, it amazes me all the time people talk about uh, Jesus wouldn't do this or that, you know. And uh, but the truth is they never read the Bible. They don't you know they don't know the Jesus of the Bible. The only way you know what Jesus is like is when you read and understand His Word and the Holy Spirit reveals to you who Jesus is. You see, Jesus, uh, if you believe the wrong things about Jesus, you're going to be disillusioned when those things don't happen. Jesus doesn't promise your best life now. Jesus does promise that He will never leave you or forsake you. Uh, Jesus, Jesus uh, does promise that you're going to find truly find life in Him in this life. But Jesus doesn't promise you a life without illness or pain or trouble. Jesus even asks you to take up your cross and follow Him. To die to yourself and your agenda and your life and follow Jesus and live for Him and for His glory. You see, don't believe in a false Jesus and be disillusioned. Don't believe in a false Jesus and be disillusioned. I've known people in situations where they were taught the wrong things about Jesus. They were taught they could be healed of anything. And when that did not happen in their lives, they said, well, I'm not going to be a part of this stuff anymore. Because they were taught and they believed the wrong thing. Jesus doesn't promise us a trouble-free life. He promises us His presence whenever we go through the trouble. Yes, Jesus heals. I still believe Jesus heals. And I still believe that Jesus does this or that and and moves in power in our lives. But I can't make Him. It doesn't always happen. Have you prayed for people that things changed and got better? Yes. But I've also prayed for people who went through things and they didn't get better. And I don't know the mind of God. But I know God heard my prayers and I know He worked in their lives. You know, I did a funeral of a soldier. The only one I've ever done. He was a, he was a, a part of a church family in Iowa. And, uh, and he was I used to teach a, a boys Sunday school class at that time. He was in my Sunday school class. And Brandon always wanted to be uh, be in the army, and so and so uh, when he became 18 of age, he joined the military, and he went over to Afghanistan. Well, when he got over to Afghanistan, um, I got a call one day, and Brandon had been killed by a sniper serving in Afghanistan. You know, one of the things, you know, this family was unique. They had three biological children, and then they had 11, uh, ten adopted children. Now I think they actually have had thirteen adopted children. But anyway, but the, you know, his brothers and sisters and his family prayed, you know, that God would be with him and God would bring us, bring him through this, and God would help him. And uh and he would, he would just, just know that he was always in God's care. And then I had to preach his funeral. And I told the family that day, you know, I know it hurts that Brandon was killed, but I want to tell you something. God heard and answered your prayers. Because Brandon never left the care and, and the love of God, God was with him in everything that he faced through all of that. You see, we need to be careful that we don't, you can't make God your Santa Claus. Yes, you can take your burdens to him, and yes, he's going to answer your prayers. But it's not always going to be exactly like we want him to. But He's always going to be with those who believe in Him, who love Him. They're going to know His presence. Maybe when they're going through stuff like this, in a way they've never known it before. Disillusioned men and women still today will betray the true and living Jesus. But finally, I want to, show, I want to point out something else. Believing and perceiving women and men prepare to honor Jesus. Believing and perceiving women and men prepare to honor Jesus. Jesus and apostles were in Bethany right before the Passover, where he would be crucified. It's probably the Saturday or, or the Saturday evening, which, which was really, you know, Jewish reckoning of days was was from sundown, um, sundown to sundown. So, so Saturday night of of, uh, of a Jewish day would actually be considered the next day, Sunday, right? The day started at sundown, not at sunup. So probably it was the it was the Saturday evening before they were holding this banquet for Jesus at the home of a man named Simon, and and as his name was Simon the leper. It's probably someone Jesus healed of leprosy. At the banquet were Lazarus, uh, John tells us, Mary, and Mary's sister Martha. Uh, Martha was serving and And Mary and Martha and Lazarus, with Jesus apostles, Simon, and other people were at this banquet. Now we find Mary here, and again we find her at Jesus' feet. She came up in with a very expensive flask of perfume. it was in a sealed glass kind of container and uh, and she broke the broke the glass that's how you would get the perfume out of it they didn't have a cap to put on it they broke the glass and she poured this on jesus's head as he reclined at the table and also on his feet the scripture says and you know they didn't have chairs like we're sitting in today you know as you would eat you would recline your your left elbow would be on the ground and you would eat with your right hand kind of as you as your body laid kind of that way uh i know that's a real vivid description but anyway And so, as Jesus was reclining there, she took this vial of a very expensive perfume, 300 denarii. It was worth almost a year's salary. It could have been her dowry. It could have been... um, it could have been a family treasure that was passed down year after year. She took this, she poured it on Jesus, she anointed his head, she anointed his feet, she wiped her feet with her hair in a remarkable and beautiful act of love. Well, the criticism started. Judas led the criticism. They, and, and the other disciples joined in this. What did they say? They said, what a waste. You're pouring this expensive perfume on a body, what a waste, what a waste of money, what a useless thing you have done. It could have been sold for 300 denarii, the money given to the poor, and we know Judas didn't care about the poor, he just cared about that money in the treasury that would have been uh, his to steal. And we also know during festival times that Jewish people were encouraged, especially, to help the poor. And so the criticism began, and they began to criticize this woman who had done this wonderful thing to Jesus. But understand something here. When you truly seek to honor Jesus, it's never a waste, no matter how much it costs you. When you truly seek to honor Jesus, it's never a waste. Jesus was aware of the criticism and he defended Mary. Maybe Mary was stung. You know, you ever did something that was, you knew was, was, was a beautiful, wonderful kind of thing and then people criticized you for it or they accused you of wrong motives or whatever it is. And sometimes that criticism hurts. I'm sure the criticism stung Mary a little bit because these were her friends. I mean, Mary knew every one of these people, every one of these apostles. They probably stayed in her home. They were probably staying in her home during the Passover feast, in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And, and now they were criticizing her. And, and Jesus wouldn't put up with that. He said, why do you trouble this woman? She has done a beautiful thing, an excellent, a, a wonderful thing. Uh, It was a morally good and wonderful thing done to honor him. This is no waste. This is a beautiful act, and you should see it as it is. And Jesus then said, you can always help the poor. You're going to have the poor with you. There's never a day that go by that you can't help the poor. But Jesus said, you're not always going to have me. You're not always going to have me. There will not always be times that you can honor me. And then Jesus said this Mary had some insight that they did not have. Now, people say, Did Mary know Jesus was going to die? I think she did. I think she'd actually, as she had sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his teaching, I think she got it. None of these pig headed men got it. I think Mary got it. She had an insight into what Jesus was doing she saw that that Jesus was going to do what he said he was going to do and and Jesus said Mary was preparing his body for burial now think about this it was only when a criminal died that his body wasn't properly prepared for burial and almost every other situation they would not dishonor a person by not properly preparing them for burial for some of them it might be one of the most expensive things they did in life but they would do that for their family for anybody they love but Jesus' body was not going to be properly prepared for burial because he was going to be crucified like a common criminal She's, Jesus said, in pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare for my burial. A waste, they said. Jesus said, No. No. It's a beautiful thing. She, Mary had sat at Jesus' feet, and she had more insight into his mission than any of the other followers. She had done something beautiful and wonderful. For the Savior that she loved and somehow understood. Jesus said, truly I say to you, whenever this gospel is preached, whenever it's proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. She saw Jesus' death and what it was. And maybe she didn't understand all that it would mean but I think she understood more than anybody else there. Do you see Jesus' death as it really was? Do you see Jesus as He is today? Do you see His death as it truly is? If you miss what Jesus' death is all about, you miss Jesus. People want to say Jesus was a great man, he was a great teacher, he was a great moral uh, leader. But if you miss Jesus' death, if you miss what the cross is all about, you miss Jesus. You miss Jesus. Mahatma Gandhi said this about Jesus' death. I could accept Jesus as a martyr, an embodiment of sacrifice, and a divine teacher... But not as the most perfect man ever born. His death on the cross was a great example to the world. But that there was anything like a mysterious, miraculous virtue in my heart, my heart could not accept. Is that how you see Jesus' death? Or do you see his death as the only way that our sins can be forgiven? Do you see His death as the only way that people can can stand in the presence of a totally just God because Jesus took our sin and He gives us His righteousness? Are you hardened and unbelieving about His death as the chief priests and elders were? Do you think it's the most meaningless thing in history? Are you disillusioned about His death? And you see that following Him is not really worth it? Or do you see Jesus' death as the very Son of God sent to save you and me from our sin? Will you believe and honor Jesus today as the true and living Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Will you embrace that? Will you believe in that? Will you receive Him into your life? And if you If you know him, will you understand it more fully today and seek to follow him more closely? Jesus' death to each of us is either one of the most meaningful or the most meaningless events in history. What is it to you? Heavenly Father, we praise you. I praise you that Jesus died. For me, and not just for me, Lord, but for every person here, so their sins could be forgiven. I pray that everyone here would see their need of forgiveness. I pray that everyone here would see the Savior who loved them so much, the God who loved the world so much that He gave His only Son. I pray that they would see the one on the cross hanging there, staying there so that your wrath would not have to be poured out on us because of our sin. So that our sins could be justly forgiven. Oh Lord, help us to see Jesus' death as the most beautiful and wonderful thing that has ever happened as the most beautiful and wonderful way that we are saved and forgiven. And help us to know, Lord, that that was that death was acceptable, that Jesus is no longer dead. He conquered death because His sacrifice was acceptable to You and He reigns and lives forever and ever. Help us all to put our trust in You, Lord, either for the first time or, Lord for for the rest of our days help us to do that we ask it in Jesus name amen